If you like to do this, or that, or even that, and you want to stay with it, Emery's got your back, or your shoulder, or your hip, or your knee. Our sports medicine specialists treat more world-class, professional, and college-level athletes than anyone else in the state. We'll treat you like a pro and get you back in play. That's the Emory difference. Make an appointment at emoryhealthcare.org sports. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slate. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm the co-host of Energy Matters, my co-host in Decatur, Georgia, Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? Hey, Tim. Great as always to be with you and talking all things energy and sustainability. Yeah, we're going to pull in one of your, uh, quote, neighbors today. Brenda Chu went to Emory, not too far. From, how, are, how far are you from that Emory campus over there, Casey? You know, I'm probably about, I don't know, depending on which way you go, oh, four miles or so. But uh, yeah, pretty close. We could walk if we wanted to. Yeah. And welcome into our virtual studio, Brenda Chu. Brenda, how you doing? Doing well. Thank you both for having me. Glad to be in the uh, virtual Atlanta realm today. You went to high school in Florida. How did you wind up at Emory? You know, I, I always really um, liked a more small school feel, and I didn't also want to go too, too far away from home. And Emory just ended up being a campus that I really liked when I was doing campus tours and just felt like the right fit. So uh, yeah, I think it helped me fall in love with Georgia. I've always, it's, it's near and dear to my heart, so happy to talk to you all about what's going on there and the project we're doing more on the federal level. And of course, Tim, we've had had uh, some folks from Emory on uh, the show uh, recently talking about some of the sustainability work they're doing. They've uh, just put up a whole bunch of new solar across their campus. And folks, if you're in the Atlanta area, you live here or you just happen to be passing by and you're interested in seeing some large scale solar on institutional buildings, swing by the Emory campus. It, it, it won't be hard to find. They're, they're pretty massive arrays on the top of parking decks and buildings over there. Yeah, Emory, uh, very innovative. And, you know, during our last integrated resource plan they came a little bit late to the you know to the party and they were trying to get us to do a microgrid there and approve that and i think casey had they been earlier we might could have worked it out but they were late they did everything right they had an attorney and they they intervened you know in ways that most people don't and it really gave them a lot of respect with the commissioners but uh, they were just a little bit late and it just takes a while to tee things up and Casey that's one of the things I don't think people realize is that energy planning is not really spontaneous is it yeah and you know you you've said a number of times on the show before and definitely worth reiterating that if you want to do something with energy, you and you're in Georgia at least, you really need to engage early and often with the commission. And I know, you know, Tim, you invite that certainly for folks, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, Brenda works with Smart Electric Power Alliance, and you're in Washington, D.C. How you like living up there with all those lobbyists, Brenda? <laughs> you know, I don't end up interacting with the lobbyists all that much since the Smart Electric Power Alliance is a uh, does not do any advocacy work, but there's definitely a lot of activity up here, especially over the, the last couple of years. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a fun place to be as well. And, you, and you've got this project, Casey, uh, this utility transformation challenge uh, going on. Tell us a little bit about this project and what was the genesis of it? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. So the Utility Transformation Challenge, we just started it for the first time last year. We collected data from utilities last summer, and really the goal of this effort was to look at how utilities are making their transition and journey to a clean and modern grid. So we're starting to see an increasing number of utilities, even just within the past two years, that are putting out, for example, 100% carbon reduction goals. Uh, we're also talking about 
the increased growth of distributed energy resources. We're talking a lot more about resilience, and there's been extreme events that are happening throughout the U.S. even just this past year that have resulted in over a billion dollars of costs. And how are utilities? They're really at the forefront of having to deal with a lot of these different complex challenges. And so we wanted to do a study where we're looking at what are they doing to prepare? What actions are they taking to integrate clean energy resources? How are they and how can we measure their progress towards carbon-free and a modern grid? And so what we did was we collected data across over 100 utilities, and we developed metrics and ways and dimensions, we call them, of examining their progress. And that's what ultimately the utility transformation challenge is, is this holistic perspective into how those utilities are reaching carbon-free in a modern grid. Yeah, so uh, Brenda, it's interesting. I wanna pick up uh, for a moment on one specific thing that you mentioned around resilience. And I, I had a recent Twitter conversation with someone, this was after Ford had announced its F-150 Lightning, their new electric pickup, which is really cool because it allows you to plug it into the house and serve as a backup battery for the house. And this person that I was interacting with said, you know, the, the power grid is just so reliable. I just don't see that much value in having this backup there. And what struck me was that in the, the customer experience study that I run at Escalant, we see a huge demand for solutions that offer resilience and backup power, despite the resilience, uh, you know, or despite the reliability of the grid. Um, you know, you only have to be out of power, you know, once for an extended period of time, like our friends in, in Texas or even here in Georgia when we've had hurricanes come through, where that resilience thing um, and the ability to stay in power sticks with you. And it's got a lot of uh, kind of emotional connection. I mean, is that kind of what you're seeing um, in, in some of these challenges that you're talking about here with the resilience angle? I definitely think that there is a real importance in that it is at the forefront of a lot of the goals that utilities are talking about and what they're trying to work towards. And what is the value of resilience? I know that that's a tricky, complex question that a lot of people in the industry are talking about. But I do think that it'd be interesting if you were to, I've heard from some folks that work with directly with customers and talking about the amount that, that customers may be willing to pay to have backup generation or storage these days after having experienced wildfires or some other form of an extreme event. It's it's changing the way that they perceive these things and wanting to have more independence or uh, some sense of their own reliability too. So I think it is interesting and I think utilities are aware of that. They're also seeing the, the damage that some of these extreme events can have on them. And so there's a lot more discussion and um, planning that's going on in the resilience front. Yeah. So Tim, I'll ask your uh, thought on this. I mean, we've talked about this as it related to the Texas outages, right? And, And your thoughts about how the Georgia system run, you know, by Georgia Power, that we've really invested in, um, you know, backup, uh, not backup generation, but sufficient generation that, you know, we're not as likely to run into the kinds of issues that they ran into in Texas. I mean, as a commissioner, how do you think about resilience and reliability as it it impacts your constituents? Well, I'm I never hold back in saying that resilience is the most important thing to me or reliability uh, and getting people back connected after we've had an outage. And so just decreasing the number of hours uh, that they're out, that's really important. I'm going to pick someone else that can do a better job with this. And <laughs> would be Brenda, for most people, I, that's right? why I always say that that each state's very unique, right? If you've got the, the, the market structure impacts this, the way the commissioners, you know, attain office is impacted. You have a state like California where you've got a, a lot of other regulatory agencies like the Energy Commission or the California Air Resource Board. These agencies impact, you know, the, the structure and how things work. And so Texas, you know, in that deregulated market down there, you know, the way that their their energy producers you know, have to, you know, bid in, you know, and, and how they're disincentivized from doing winterization or uh, preventive maintenance, that ultimately impacts both the price, yes, it's cheap, but also the reliability. So, Brenda, back to the the overall kind of utility transformation challenge. I mean, you gave us kind of a, a snapshot of it, but as I read this, there, there are kind of four pillars that you all identified to this. Can you talk a little bit more about what those pillars are? Yeah, absolutely. We called them dimensions, and 
The first dimension that we really examined is clean energy resources. So how clean, uh, how much carbon-free and carbon-reducing resources are the utilities procuring and are they deploying? And that includes energy efficiency, that includes demand flexibility. Uh, so that was one of the, the key dimensions that we examined and collected data for. The second one was corporate leadership. So I think there's over 3,300 utilities in the United States. Uh, but it takes really proactive strategies and a lot of change management and leadership at these utilities to shift the culture at the utilities and also push for some of this change. So really we were looking at measures such as executive composition, comp compensation and what types of carbon reduction targets may they have, what types of plans are they putting out, uh, what are they doing at the utility itself, and that area was corporate leadership and trying to measure that shift. You know, just recently I was on a, a gas forum panel, and this is the third time in public that I've said that Tom Fanning, who runs the Southern Company, that his statements do not bind the Georgia Public Service Commission, right? So his desire to be carbon-free in 2050 or whatever his number is, is does not mean it's going to happen uh, because he's not on the Georgia Public Service Commission and we have a regulatory compact with them. Now, back in the day, before we had integrated resource planning, yeah, he could do whatever, whatever he wanted to, or Georgia Power could do whatever they wanted to, and they would hope for recovery. But after they ceded the compact with us, uh, you know, their authority no longer is carte blanche. They can't just do what they want. So I want to keep keep this going, Casey. Let's keep let's keep Brenda over another segment. I want to talk a little bit more about why that's true. I want to talk about more about the utility transformation challenge, where she's going, and the structure of states and how it works. Stick around. We'll be back with Brenda Chu. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AmLaw 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, it's Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with my co-host Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? Good. I am interested to continue this conversation here. We were just talking about leadership and, uh, you know, Brenda was our guest from SEPA was talking about how corporate leadership was one of the uh, three, uh, sorry, four things that they identified as, as part of how uh, utilities transformed themselves. And, and Tim, you were talking about how, yes, leadership matters, but at least in a state like Georgia, 
that's not all that matters. I mean, it, it you what you were saying was almost like collaboration that that you know Tom Fanning or you know other leaders at at the utilities really need to engage with you and your colleagues at the PSC to achieve whatever transformation goals they're looking for. Yeah, that's for. right. I'm not saying that leadership is not important. I don't think we would be finishing these nuclear reactors if there wasn't strong leadership uh, from the top at the Southern Company and Georgia Power. So I want to give give it give credit to them, but. It is not the tail wagging the dog. They are not. Uh, they are not determining exclusively what happens in this state. And I know uh, the Southern Company. They have shareholders, and they're concerned about what their shareholders think. And Sam Collier from the Sierra Club is a very strong Southern Company shareholder, and he's influenced them in their direction. Uh, but you know, in terms of like closing all of our natural gas plants, you know, by yeah, 2040 or whatever that that may not happen i don't know i don't know how long we'll run those natural gas plants i know this casey i don't want what happened in happening in texas with, with their outages uh, i don't want that happening in georgia and i know that a diversity uh on our power grid is really really important and so you know just because you know it's a trendy thing to want to have some 100 percent goal and i do think it's a trendy a trendy thing. I mean, you and I have talked about these cities and how they, you know, they have no means to be able to go 100%, yet they set the goal, basically convince their citizens that that's really, uh, you know, deep, deep in their heart and something that's really going to accomplish. So, Casey, I, I just think, I just think that, that structure matters. The commission matters. Obviously, I think it's important. I'm on it, right? Well, and, and I think the other thing, too, that's worth acknowledging is that, you know, and, and Brenda, I'd be interested in, in your take on this as well. For me, I think part of leadership is bringing people along, right? And, and Tim, you've done this with like your clean energy roadshow and, and other things that you've been involved in. But it's not just saying, hey, we're going to do this come, you know, uh, come whatever may. It's helping other people get there on their own. And you know, I see this in, in my work with utilities as well in the customer experience front that, you know, if low level, you know, kind of frontline staff are committed to great customer experience, but they're not getting backup from leadership, it's hard to make that transition. Yeah. Brenda, can you back up and and take us back to the first two dimensions that you had talked about? And, le- and we'll let you finish the other two as well. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I was going to say that I'll jump to one of the other dimensions as you talk about the utility and leadership working with the regulator, et cetera. Uh, and the third dimension is aligned actions and engagement. So that gets into how are you potentially engaging your customers, providing them innovative options or new business models? How are you working with your stakeholders? How are you working with your regulators? So it is an acknowledgement and an attempt to kind of speak to that nuance that it really depends on where you are, what your stakeholders may need, what what needs you're balancing and objectives and goals and and working with those different stakeholders to reach that, that transition, right? And I also think that to that um, to that lens too, a lot of these utilities, it's not necessarily trendy that they're putting out those 100% goals, but there are certain regions where the customers want that. And so the utility is putting out those goals and leadership is pushing for it because they recognize that in that context, in their service territory, that's what their, their constituents, that's what they want. And so that gets into the different drivers that may influence corporate leadership, the different drivers that may influence aligned actions engagement. I totally agree that a constituency, a California constituency, an Alaskan constituency, they can have influence both on the utility and on the regulators who are either appointed or elected. Here's the problem I have, Brenda, is when people that live in California who are in a certain kind of bubble and they you know, they've convinced their utility and their city leaders and their, you know, regulatory commission, their governor, okay, we want to do X. We want to be 100%. And then all of a sudden, you have Congress people or U.S. senators say, hey, you know what? This is a great idea in California. Sure enough, those folks down in Georgia, you know, should be doing this as well. And so what happens is they take something like the Clean Power Plan or the Green New Deal, and then they want to project that onto my state, you know, and subvert a planning process that we've had in place since 1991 that works perfectly fine. And so I guess I have an issue 
with folks trying to take their convictions about something and move it move it down on us in Georgia. Hey, they can do whatever they want in California. I don't even care. But don't bring it to my state. Well, I'll, I will say that SEPA, we don't we have a non-advocacy approach to this. And the way we looked at it on a research front was trying to really account for the different regions, the different needs. So it's not that we're trying to apply a California lens or et cetera, but there, our vision for, and our mission is a carbon-free energy system by 2050. So that does impact the lens of how we're measuring and looking at the analysis. So things like, do you have a target and do you have interim goals? And are, are there uh, clear actions that can be measured for that progress? That's what goes into the analysis that go, that factors into the clean energy resources dimension and the corporate leadership dimension. And I will say the fourth dimension, just so that we can get to it too, is modern grid enablement. So it's how are, it's not just grid modernization, but how are you uh, modernizing the infrastructure, but also incorporating flexibility and your processes and your operations to be able to enable the transition as well. So we're trying to, to think about it from the technical front, the, the carbon free and clean energy perspective, how you're accounting for your stakeholders uh, from aligned actions and engagement, as well as corporate leadership. So what is the utility and leadership modeling up top to, to navigate a complex shift yeah. in this transition? Yeah, I, I am reading right now, Brenda, the Bill Gates book, How to Avoid a, a Climate Disaster. And well, first of all, I've got all kind of problems with this book. But uh, but look, I'm not afraid to dive in and look at someone that, that has a little bit different standpoint. One of the things that that has stuck out to me here is that is that power plants represent only 27 percent of greenhouse gases. Right. So there is a lot of greenhouse gas coming from other sources, namely transportation. Right. And so I've been all in on electric vehicles. I've been all in on liquefied natural gas, compressed natural gas, all of which are far less in greenhouse gas emissions than diesel and and cars. The other thing that came out in in this book is that throughout the pandemic, we've only seen a reduction of about five percent. And so with the economy practically coming to a screeching halt and cars hardly on the road at all and, and, and less load, we only reduced greenhouse gas emissions by 5%. So I don't know, Casey, that we're really being genuine with people when we lead them to believe that closing combined cycle plants is going to all of a sudden magically move us into this perfect world. Well, let me put it this way. Saying that one thing is going to solve the climate crisis is this idea of a silver bullet, right? And the reality is that, and and you alluded to it, is that it's going to be silver buckshot, right? It's going to be closing coal plants. It's going to be closing natural gas plants. It's going to be building electrification. It's going to be transportation electrification. And there definitely are technologies. We've talked about them on the the show before, right? That um, use some of that existing infrastructure. So renewable natural gas, right? We've talked about a number of times on the show before that can help reduce emissions from various sectors. And I think, you know, all of this ties back into what can the utility do to help facilitate those changes, right? Because they're getting hammered right now. I, you know, I see nationally that there is a real calling to question of whether natural gas utilities have a social license to operate. Um, and you know what, if we don't figure that out and figure out how they play in enabling us to have a clean energy future, their business is very much in jeopardy, right? And so it's something that, you know, a lot of folks that I talk about, uh, talk to across the industry are trying to figure out. And, you know, I think, Brenda, you mentioned this, that, you know, people want us to be solving this issue. Even in Georgia, um, we asked a question in our study about, do you want your utility to invest in new technology to reduce the impact of uh, climate change. 
And nationally, two thirds of people said yes. In Georgia, 60% of people said yes. So, you know, this is about as close as you can get to a unanimous, like, hey, go go do this thing as you can find in today's political environment. You know, I think, Tim, you, you raised some really good questions, which is like, how do you get there, right? And, you know, how do we shy away from being dogmatic about it um, and really think about, you know, what is the reality of the situation that, that we're facing from a climate and a business uh, standpoint, right? Yeah. When we come back, I want Brenda to respond uh, to what what we've said here about natural gas, about this transition, uh, quote, transition to 100 percent carbon free. I mean, it is a part of what her, her organization is about. And the very assumption uh, says that uh, that that natural gas is bad. Uh, or at best, a transition fuel, which I don't know that that's much better. Stick around. We'll be back on Energy Matters with Brenda Chu. We're talking about their utility transformation challenge with the Smart Electric Power Alliance. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings Today. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey Boyce here along with Tim Eccles and Brenda Chu from SEPA. And we are talking about the Smart Electric Power Alliance's Utility Transformation Challenge. Brenda, it's great to have you with us. Before the break, we were talking about the transformation to lower no carbon and kind of the role of leadership, the role of technology, the role of different fuels. And, you know, knowing that that you guys at SEPA don't advocate for any one specific solution, I'd love to get just kind of your your reaction to what Tim and I were saying before the break and in terms of what that transition might look like. To respond to what Tim was saying in terms of the plant retirements, that kind of goes back to those four dimensions, right? There's clean energy resources, and that's one of the four. There's also a lot of other ways that utilities can and are already playing a role in reducing emissions. It includes, for example, buildings and how are utilities helping to increase energy efficiency and get these other technologies into in there so they could be a possible flexible load and interact with the grid. The DOE just put out a target even, I'd say, is it three weeks ago, where they want to triple energy efficiency and demand flexibility in buildings by 2030 and that it could reduce emissions in the total power sector by 6% was, I think, the study that the Brattle Group put out. And so, for example, buildings can be one element. Transportation electrification is another big piece that a lot of utilities we found in the study were already advancing a lot of strategic planning in that front, too. I think it was over 90% of our participants were looking at that. So there's 
this positioning to make sure that they're starting to future proof the grid for a lot of these trends that are coming. And I totally recognize that things may be different in Georgia than they may be in some of these other regions. Yeah. Okay. So if Gates says 27% of greenhouse gases come out of power plants in his book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, uh, then we have a whole lot of headroom to make improvements in greenhouse gas reduction uh, without decimating the natural gas business. And I feel like the way that folks are messaging this, natural gas is bad. It's a fossil fuel. It shouldn't be connected to your house. We're going to ban new homes from hooking up. We're going to close combi- combined cycle. It, it's, it is a go-to-war mentality against natural gas when natural gas really isn't the enemy. The enemy really is transportation fuel. It's that other 74% of greenhouse gases that's coming from somewhere, and it's not coming from a combined cycle plant. Brenda, I feel like we've, we're, we're aiming at the wrong enemy here. <laughs> I think that sounds a little bit like a binary view of it's either this or it's that. Isn't it that the perspective is there are a lot of different levers to pull? Let's, let's try to tackle them in a multidimensional way. Uh, so... Yeah, let's let's bring down natural gas while we're tackling all this stuff. The thing is, natural gas, natural gas has provided a resurgence of manufacturing for the United States. And I mean, it's why German companies are coming here in droves because, well, they're captive to the Russians over there. They're paying triple for natural gas, what we're paying here. And so demonizing natural gas, and it is being demonized in California. I mean, I've had, I've had California public utility commissioners tell me that natural gas is the new coal. If that's not demonizing it, I don't know what is. I'm more interested in that other stuff that you talked about. Let's get this energy efficiency stuff going. Let's get these houses tightened up. Let's transition this this transportation fleet. Let's get the dray trucks that are coming out of the port, these older trucks. Let's get them running on natural gas. You're not going to run them on electricity. There is no possible way that the that the over-the-road truck fleet is ready for that. So what, are you going to wait 10 more years, 15 years? No, the technology from Westport Cummings is there right now. Let's transition. I, I just left the port of L.A. just just not too long ago, and they've got 500 dray trucks. In Georgia, 500 dray trucks running on natural gas. In Georgia, we have zero. And we've got to make progress with that. Hey, natural gas. I've, I've driven a natural gas car. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the the, the, the emissions are clean. Why, why do you think you can go in a Home Depot in a Lowe's and not die, you know, because a forklift is running on methane or propane? It is cleaner. It is not the same, Casey. Clearly, you feel very passionately about natural gas and all of this. And, and Brenda, I want to bring us back to the utility transformation challenge, because I'm looking at this list that you published of the leaderboard utilities on these these four dimensions that you talked about earlier. And by my count, and maybe I'm missing one here because I'm doing this quickly, but four of the 10 are uh, also provide natural gas in addition to electricity. So, you know, kind of the way that I I see this is that you're not saying, um, and and I recognize, Tim, that some people are, right? Um, But that that you're not saying at SEPA that natural gas is the enemy, but that there are specific things that, you know, leading utilities are doing to achieve transformation. What are some of the findings that you've had as you looked across the industry at utilities who are doing well on these four dimensions? What are some of the commonalities between them? Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely agree that they're back to it is very multidimensional approach, right? We're looking at how clean are the resources as a whole. We're not picking or choosing what types of technologies should utilities be implementing. It really goes back to who are your stakeholders? What are your goals and objectives? What resources are you working with, right? If you're a utility in the Pacific Northwest, you already have ample amounts of hydro. It's it's a very complex way and difficult, to be honest, to try to look at 3,300 different types of utilities across the U.S. There's so much variation of what they're trying to balance. Uh, So in terms of the top 10, we called them our leaderboard utilities. We found there were a couple key takeaways of what made them leaders. And we also found that there's still a lot of progress to be made in this industry too, right? Uh, On one end, it goes back to the carbon reduction targets. So we did find that those that rose to the top had explicit carbon reduction targets 
that, and that was a really necessary first step for some of these utilities to make these commitments and help to show their progress. We were looking at science-based targets and having interim goals and demonstrated actions and plans for how they were going to achieve it. And that was one element that really led to some of the leadership for these leadership leader leaderboard utilities. The second piece was that we found that the transformation goes beyond clean energy resources. So it goes back to a comprehensive approach. I know we've talked a lot about natural gas, we've talked about a lot of specific things, but taking it back to like this higher view, we're talking about this comprehensive approach where a transition touches upon a lot of different operations and business elements at a utility. And the utilities that are making this transition, it goes back to that corporate leadership. It goes back to how are you engaging your stakeholders? It goes back to how are you looking at your current operations, your infrastructure? How do you start to examine your processes and try to future-proof the grid and future-proof the way that you're engaging and running a business to help with this transition uh, with the different drivers that you're seeing, trends that are coming along the horizon. Uh, the other part was that the transformation of utility culture is also necessary. I think, I don't know about your other shows and how many times people talk about utility siloing and silos, 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 everyone talks about that. Uh, but to, to make this transition, and we have a lot of utilities that are members, and a lot of them are very well-intentioned with the transition that they're trying to make too, right? But they also experience a lot of uh, challenges within their organization to get the change to happen. Maybe it's uh, the processes or teams that haven't communicated with one another and the ways that things are structured or the ways that uh, they're trying to respond within their regulatory framework. And so that utility culture and leadership and providing transparency and accountability was a third insight into what we measured and found was helping these utilities be leaders. And the fourth thing goes back to, and Tim, you'll probably agree with this as well, is that the utilities can't achieve this carbon-free system alone. And it's that utilities, they have to proactively and strategically work with their stakeholders to facilitate that transformation. And we, we measured and looked at the different programs, the ways that they're engaging with their stakeholders and found those leaderboard utilities that fell on this list uh, were also taking those actions as well. You know, Casey, I said this to the gas folks uh, in the meeting that every form of energy has some downsides to it, right? So you're making you're making solar panels over in China. Who knows what what kind of labor conditions they have? You're transporting it on a diesel ship over here. You get the things over here. You may or may not can recycle them. Uh, they're not working at night. I mean, there's downside. The batteries. Okay, we got the cadmium mining. We got the kids in Africa. We got you know difficulties there getting it here. We've got a heat issue. We've got recycling problems on this on these batteries. Again, they're really not working all through the night. Natural gas has its issues with fracking. Coal has its issues with ash. Nuclear has its issues with waste. Uh, water has its issues with permitting. Every single form of energy has a downside. It's almost like we put these carbon-free sources on a pedestal and we just kind of forget about any negative. Right. And, and let's just talk about the positive. And, and you know what? That is not a fair way to discuss it, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes back to being realistic and um, being fact based. And, uh, you know, as we close out this uh, segment, Brenda, uh, where can folks who are interested more uh, to learn more about the Utility Transformation Challenge and SEPA find out more about them? Well, one, you probably could just Google Utility Transformation Challenge. and It'll come up. But our website is SEPAPower.org. And you'll be able to find a slew of different resources, many that are free to get more informed on different research that we are doing. My blood pressure needs to go down a little bit. You got me uh, all <laughs> fired up here. It's great having you on the show. Thank you for serving. Thanks for the good work that you guys are doing. And, and, doing, and I'm, passion, uh, pa I'm passionate about this stuff just like, just like you are. Stick around. Great having Brenda on today. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Thank you very much. Right. And, you know, I, I beat up plenty on the Public Service Commission and, and policies and Georgia Power and all this kind of thing. In the end, we are one of the most stable states with our electricity. No question. 
Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters. In the mobile studio, actually a Tesla Model 3 today with Chris Fettis, the president of Coastal Electric. Chris, we're cruising along. I'm not driving. Uh, You are cruising along Highway 17 here. You know, a lot of folks have never been in a Tesla. I'm on my sixth electric vehicle. I haven't owned a Tesla, but certainly have driven a lot of them. And this screen that we're looking at and its ability when you put in your location where you're going to tell you how many miles it's going to take to get there, how many chargers are or chargers are available, meaning uh, that you might have to wait for a little while, and then how long you need to sit there in order to get to your final destination. That is a cool thing. Well, it definitely helps whenever you're going to plan a trip where you know you need at least one charge. Um, sometimes the vehicle will tell you if you maintain a certain speed, you might not need that charge. You know, it just depends on just how close you are on the battery level. Hey, Chris, we're going to be doing a ribbon cutting today on a uh, basically a connectivity broadband joint venture between Darien Telephone and Darien Communications and your company, uh, bringing broadband to a lot of folks that that don't have it. And I know our commission's been involved with approving a poll attachment fee for our cooperatives and then Senate Bill 2, of course, allowing you guys to go into the business. How important is having cooperatives involved with broadband in, in, in Georgia to bring this important technology to folks that really need it? Well, perhaps no one knows rural Georgia better than the EMCs. I mean, we were enabled... 80 something years ago to solve a problem of bringing electricity to these rural parts of Georgia. So just the, today is the same challenge. Uh, there is a broad, there, there are gaps in a robust broadband service in not just rural Georgia but rural America. And so from the state and federal level we're looking for solutions. So I think the EMCs, the electric cooperatives are, will be instrumental because like I said, uh, we know where those gaps are and we have electric lines there. So we already have a right-of-way infrastructure. Most of the co-ops are already looking to invest in types of high-speed communication systems for smart grid applications. And like I'm going to announce today, you know, when you build fiber for smart grid, well, there's so much more you can do with that piece of glass. It almost has unlimited bandwidth potential so if there is a way that we can create two goals one smart grid infrastructure and two uh, retail broadband service for our members then that's that's a win-win for everyone and today you really need that high-speed internet connection if you want to create new entertainment educational and business opportunities You know, you mentioned glass, fiber optic um, versus cable versus copper. Uh, Fiber is 
the highest quality that you can build, isn't it? As far as we currently know, yes. Uh, fiber so far is future-proof. There are fiber optic lines that were put in the ground in the 70s and 80s, and they're still transmitting data. It's the end devices that keep getting more and more sophisticated, how we could layer different frequencies of light over the same single piece of glass. So as the end-use technology continues to develop, um, fiber will continue to provide you know, communications at the speed of light. Let's talk for a second about solar. I remember, I remember calling one of your employees way back, maybe 2012, and he invited me over to Coastal Electric. You all were having a board meeting that day. It was the first day that I'd been in your office. The first day I had seen your community solar experiment that you were trying out in front of your office. Coastal Electric was an early adopter of renewable energy. Yes, sir. We really do believe in the all-of-the-above approach to energy resources. Uh, you can't uh, be out of balance with all the technologies that are available. And solar was new, and if we're going to be experts in the area of energy resources, then we have to have first-hand experiences and knowledge of how these systems work. And so we... If you can remember, back then, solar panels were pretty expensive compared to today's prices. But, um, yeah, it's been a great experience. Our own linemen uh, built that array. Uh, we kind of worked with our vendors and designed it ourselves uh, and uh, connected it into the, uh, the grid right there in front of the office. So, it really, the energy flows out onto the grid, not into our office building. And you guys had one of the first wind turbines that I've ever seen in the state of Georgia. Yes, yeah, so we wanted to get experience with uh, all renewables. You know, we even have with Oglethorpe, you know, water storage and pumping for uh, hydroelectricity. So there's always been this uh, perception that the wind is always blowing in coastal Georgia. And it does if you're on the ocean or on the beachfront. But uh, we needed to learn just what are the logistics of setting up a, you know, a small wind turbine, something the size that a residential customer might be able to fit on their property. So it's on a 60-foot um, steel pole, and, um, you know, it has good days and it has, you know, calm days. You know, you typically see a lot of uh, energy generation in the spring and in the fall, and then... Uh, but, you know, if you can see the blades and you can count the blades, then it's not spinning fast enough to generate its rated output. You know, I love how you guys want to experiment and have anecdotal experience with these energies so that you can better advise your members. I just think... I just think, as a commissioner, that's exactly what I've done. It's why I put solar on my home. It's why, I, uh, why I've had six electric cars. It's why I've had a natural gas car. It's why I've had a propane van. It's why I've used E85 ethanol, because I want to know the good and the bad so that I can advise people, because sometimes it makes sense to do something. Sometimes it doesn't. And with intermittent energy, putting too much into that or too too many eggs in one basket it can really put the grid at risk well that's that's true and uh we've seen you know national events where uh the the grid has weaknesses and if uh you put too much renewable and don't have a balance you know there's a lot of maybe unfair pressure on coal i think um you know, everyone's relying on the affordability of natural gas right now, and natural gas is at, you know, historical low uh, prices and has really displaced the dispatch of coal resources. But when you get to the wintertime, um, you know, you have nuclear and you have coal. Uh, natural gas is being used for other purposes. It's, you know, it's, it's heating homes. It's, it's providing, um, like I said, other uses so the natural gas prices do elevate in the winter times and it's not as economical when compared to coal and i say all this just to mean that 
you can have clean coal, you can have uh, zero emission nuclear, and you can have low carbon natural gas. You can, you know, incorporate the renewables of hydro and solar. Wind, you know, wind just hasn't really proven itself for the cost and the output to be feasible in coastal Georgia. At least not in our service here, not with our experience. But the point is, you know, if you have a well-balanced portfolio, then you have a reliable network. Just in our last minute, did the Colonial Pipeline hack scare you to death like it scared me as I thought, oh no, what if this had happened to the gaseous pipeline and not the liquid pipeline? How many combined cycle plants would have been shut down? How many people would have been in the dark? Well, you're right. The The impact uh, would have been far more reaching and uh, a little bit more economical, uh, disruptive. Cybersecurity, uh, you really have to... A lot of these hacks these days are from phishing schemes and spear phishing schemes where the hacker is targeting employees and disguising you know, bad emails to look legitimate in the hope that somebody will click on the wrong link and open the door to the ransomware. And so we just really have to stay well informed, um, keep our employees well informed and educated on you know, just being responsible and aware of fraudulent emails. Well, we're going to have a great day uh, today with this ribbon cutting and St. Catharines Island I guess will be in view and it's an island I haven't had a chance to go out to and I understand that the New York Zoological Society did leave some monkeys out there. Have you seen those monkeys? I have seen those lemurs and if, if you go on the island they will be quick to correct you that these are lemurs and I made the same uh, mistake you know, calling them monkeys. But they are lemurs, and they're out there, and they're tagged, and uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of history with St. Catharines. In fact, uh, my board president that we're going to talk with today, he used to work on the island and has been there since 1965. Wow. Well, thanks for being on Energy Matters today, and thanks for your leadership down here on the coast. Thank you, Tim. Looking forward to a great day with you. Hey, you're listening to Energy Matters. Have a great day, everyone, and tune in each and every week to hear about energy, technology, and sustainability. I'm Tim Eccles, and Energy Matters. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, $2, or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. If you like to do this, or that, or even that, and you want to stay with it, Emory's got your back, or your shoulder, or your hip, or your knee. Our sports medicine specialists treat more world-class, professional, and college-level athletes than anyone else in the state. We'll treat you like a pro and get you back in play. That's the Emory difference. Make an appointment at emoryhealthcare.org sports.